Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and joining me tonight is genealogy expert John F. Baker, Jr., the author of the book, The Washingtons of Westington Plantation, Stories of My Family's Journey to Freedom. Now, John is going to tell us a story about his ancestors, who were enslaved on the Westington Plantation owned by the Washington family, as well as the story of hundreds of other African Americans connected with the plantation for more than two centuries. Now, this is a story of family, faith, and community. So let me just give a warm welcome to John Baker, Jr. to the show. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing? Just doing fine. You know, in spite of the fact that we're here and we're dealing with the pandemic, we still have an opportunity to connect, even if it's virtual. And just as I was telling you, this is kind of one of our opportunities to hear from you, to hear about your exciting genealogical journey on the Westington Plantation. So before we get really deep into this, just tell us where is the Westington Plantation located? Okay, Westington Plantation is located in Robertson County, Tennessee, in a small city uh, or town called Cedar Hill, and it's about 35 miles uh, northwest of Nashville, Tennessee. Okay, and so what motivated you to research this particular plantation? Okay, how I got started, when I was in the seventh grade, we used a social studies textbook called Your Tennessee, and there was a photograph of four formerly enslaved individuals, that was, and this photograph was taken in 1891 on the plantation. And uh, for some reason, I seemed drawn to this photograph, and I had... Um, but each time I would go to class, I would look at it thinking that I should uh, know who the individuals were, but I had no clue who it was. So I got out of school for summer vacation. It was the plantation one, plantation's 160th anniversary. So our local newspaper did a story on them, and they had a photograph of the white Washington family that owned the plantation and the same photograph that was in my social studies textbook. And my maternal grandmother happened to uh, be visiting us from Chicago, and she spent the weekend with one of her older brothers. And she called my mom and told her to come pick her up, have me to bring a camera 
uh, out when we came to pick her up. So when uh, we got there, my grandmother showed me this newspaper article, and it had everyone's names listed on this one. And I told my grandmother, I said, Grandmother, there are pictures in our history book. Who is that? So it was four individuals, and there was an elderly man seated and his wife beside him, and my grandmother pointed and said, that's my grandfather, and he was the cook on Westington Plantation that was owned by the Washingtons, and that's how we got the Washington surname, and she told me her grandmother was enslaved there as well, which my grandmother was excited to see the photograph because she was the youngest child in her family, and she didn't know her grandparents, but her older brother knew them personally. And so he told me, that the direct descendants of the plantation owners still lived in the Westington mansion and to call them and tell them who I was. And so I called out there and told them I had seen the newspaper article and I was interested in my family's history. So um, the lady said, well, everyone knows who your great-great-grandfather was. We still have his portrait in the living room. So she invited me out to the plantation. And so uh, when I got there, I had to have my mother drive me out there because I was 12 or 13 at the time. And it brought back a flashback from my early childhood when I was maybe five years old. My grandfather used to take me for a ride in the country every week, uh, just about. And so often we would pass by the Westington Plantation, and he would point or he would slow down or stop sometimes and point and say, that's Washington, that's where your grandmother's family came from, which I knew my grandmother was a Washington at five, but that's as far as it went. So when my mother took me, out there it all dawned on me what my grandfather was telling me that my family's history went back some 200 years to the plantation. So that's what got what this an, thing going. What an amazing discovery. And you really got involved in genealogical research at an early age. So what was right. it like walking in there and seeing a family member portrait on the wall? So um, it was like stepping back in time because the house was furnished pretty much how it looked back in the 1800s, and some of it uh, even earlier. And they had a portrait of my great-great-grandfather that uh, the Washington family commissioned a famous artist to paint, and that portrait's now worth about $25,000. And there were other portraits of some of the other former slaves on the plantation. And the lady that lived there also brought out about 10 or 12 legal-sized documents which recorded the births of the slaves on the plantation from 1795 up to 1860, and she also took me to the slave cemetery where my great-great-grandfather and mother and some of our earlier ancestors were buried. And um, she also told me, and and some of the slave cabins were still standing, and then the Washington, uh, the plantation owner cemetery, it was was there as well, and some of the other buildings. But uh, she had told me that the family had deposited all the plantation records in the Tennessee State Library and Archives in the 1960s. This is over 11,000 documents. It's now, which uh, I viewed the original documents when I first started, but uh, it was later microfilmed, which is now on 69 rows of microfilm. So I've gone through all of these records to trace not only my ancestry, but all the families that were enslaved there. And in this collection, there are um, slave birth registers, which records the birth of the slaves. There are slave bills of sale from 1801 to 1843, where the Washington's purchased uh, various slaves from surrounding um, slaveholders and outside the state as well. There's a lot of letters where um, the second owner of the plantation, George A. Washington, traveled a lot, so his mother, his father, the plantation overseer, would write letters, what's going on on the plantation, which slaves ran away, who had a child, uh, about the uh, Native Americans coming up to get food and water during the uh, Trail of Teal's removal, uh, different slaves that ran away during the Civil War and before, 
So uh, it was so much detail that you felt that you knew all these individuals personally. And, well, uh, since in you addition, had, you're right. So she had all of these documents. So tell us who is, who was the slave owner? Tell us about the Washingtons. Okay, the plantation was settled in 1796 by Joseph Washington, and he was born in Southampton County, Virginia, in 1770. So he came to Robertson County, Tennessee, where the plantation is, and, and founded it in 1796. Uh, he died in 1848, and then the plantation passed on to his son, George A. Washington. Um, George A. continued purchasing property until the plantation encompassed 13,100 acres in one continuous farm. Um, at its peak, there was 274 individuals enslaved there at one time, which was the largest uh, slave population in the state of Tennessee at the time. But from 1796 to 1865, there was um, over 450 individuals who had been enslaved there on the plantation. So with 274 people enslaved, and they're working 13, you said 13,000 acres? Yes. Did I get that? Okay, That's so 13,000 acres, and it, it was Joseph Washington's plantation that went to, you said, George Washington? George A., his son, which Joseph Washington and President George Washington were distant relatives. Oh, okay. So that's the connection with George Washington. So let's. So now that we have some kind of background, because just telling, you know, just saying that you were shown original documents that are now uh, microfilm. Are any of these documents uh, available through digital download, or do you only have access to them if you go to a specific place to see them? Some of them are digitized and on the um, website for the Tennessee State Library and Archives, but the majority of them uh, you'd have to go to the uh, the archives to view them. And then you mentioned uh, a large number of enslaved individuals. So tell us what did you learn about those individuals, and more specifically, how did you go about learning about them in addition to learning about your own family? Okay, um, so I viewed the documents, and it would tell different things about, like, who ran away, so you got to know their personalities, who was defiant. Uh, in, in addition to the records, um, the Washingtons had many photographs of some of the former slaves, and then there was a, about 25 individuals who ranged in age from 80 to 107 years old who were children or grandchildren of Westington slaves. So I interviewed these people, and then they would tell me things about their grandparents. And uh, so I got firsthand information from some of those people. And what kind of information was firsthand information? What did you Okay, did you so they were telling me about um, that their grandparents or parents told them uh, how life was um, on the plantation, uh, that in 1860, Wessington was the largest tobacco plantation in America. So the slaves there produced 250,000 pounds of tobacco, making it the largest tobacco producer in the United States and the second largest in the world. So after emancipation... Mm-hmm. Some of these individuals, I um, had purchased hundreds of acres of land, some of it part of the uh, land that they had formerly been enslaved on. They established uh, the Antioch Baptist Church in 1869, 
and they uh, gathered there to determine who they were going to vote for when they were first given uh, voting rights. And the uh, mistress from the plantation wrote her son while he was in Georgetown College that none of the men on the plantation were working because every single male on the plantation that was old enough was a registered voter, and they were going to vote. Wow. So they made a lot of a lot of accomplishments. Uh, I found that some of the individuals, because they also used the Antioch Baptist Church as a school, uh, some of them went to school to learn to read and write as old as 45 and 50 years old, and they also sacrificed to send their children to school, which they had to pay $1 per month per child, which was a great sacrifice because some of them were only making like 50 cents a day. Were any of the... Um enslaved individuals in the Civil War? Yes. Um, many of the uh, men from the plantation ran away and joined the Union Army. And I have their pension applications because uh, there's a questionnaire that asks, how do you know how old you are? And one guy in particular name was Frank Washington, and he was 12 years old. And he said when he, by the time he was 12, he was as large as most full-grown men. And he said when Union soldiers came through the area, uh, they took him, and he remembered his mother running out saying, uh, he's only 12 years old, but they took him anyway. And there were several wow. others that uh, also enlisted in the Union Army. Well, I want you, I mean, because this is just really interesting, and I love going through Civil War pension files, but I want you to just take us through your whole genealogical research strategies. What did you do first? What documents did you review? I'm going to stop asking you questions and let you talk. <laughs> okay, well, the first document that I, I started on was the birth register from the plantation, which listed uh, the exact dates of birth uh, that the individuals were born. So I was able to find my great-great-grandfather. He was born there April 23, 1824. My great-great-grandmother was born May 26, uh, 1837. So I found them. Then uh, from that I went the slave bills of sale, and I found where my great-great-grandfather that was born in 1824, his mother was purchased by the Washingtons when she was 10 years old in 1802, she and her sister. They were taken from um, Sussex County, Virginia, and brought to Robertson County, Tennessee, where I live now, and there's been 13 generations of our family that has lived here. From there, from the slave bill of sale, I was able to find out who previous owner was in Virginia, so I went and got, um, I wrote to a clerk, um, Gary Williams, in Southampton, in Sussex County, Virginia, so he found the will of the um, owner of my great-great-grandfather's mother in 1799, then that led to tax records that went back to 1750, so I was able to go back uh, from there and all to uh, 1762 when they first came over here. And tell me, how long did it take you to do this? Well, I spent uh, 30 years uh, researching, and it was not just my family. I researched every family from the plantation. And what happened was when I first started doing mine, uh, and I uh, went to church with several, I guess about 10 individuals that were from 80 to 100 years old, and so between church services, I would gather with them, and each person would tell a story about their grandparent or great-grandparent at Westington. So I became as interested 
in all these other families' history as I did my own. So then I would go do research, and then, like, um, some of the information that they would tell me about their grandparents or great-grandparents, then I'd go find documentation. And so some of the stuff that I was finding, you know, went back beyond what they actually knew. So some of them were excited to find out, like, some of them knew who their grandparents were and maybe great-grandparents, but I was able to find out, you know, a couple of generations back from there. So they were excited about that. So some of these families have been having family reunions for years and years, like the Gardner family. They've been having a family reunion every year since the 1930s. And so there are more uh, gardeners in our county carrying that surname than any other African-American family. So I was able to trace when their family first came to Westington. And a gentleman that went to church with me, Sam Gardner, he passed away when he was 98. And he remembered his grandfather, who had uh, been a Westington slave, who was purchased and brought to the per- uh, to the plantation in 1839. So there were many, many stories. But one lady that I went to church with was 93. Her name was Maddie Terry. Her great-grandmother was a Westington slave, and she lived to be 104 years old. And she had told her that when she was a child, she would gather up all her great-grandchildren and grandchildren to tell stories about when they were enslaved. And she actually told uh, them that when she was a child, she and the other slave children went to the creek bed that uh, flows through Westington, collected clay. They brought the clay up on the hill where Westington now stands, and the adults molded and made bricks. And she said they must have known what they were doing because the house is still standing, which uh, last year the mansion was 200 years old. And uh, Miss Terry told me that her great-grandmother lived to be 104 years old, and at 104 she could still chop her own firewood and and thread a needle without using glasses. Wow. So uh, many of them lived to advanced ages, so that helped bridge the gap in the records as well or uh, personalize what I was finding in the records. Well, when you gathered these oral histories, did you record the individuals as they were sharing these stories with you? I did not at that time. I uh, I wrote it down, but I didn't record them because I, I was just doing a project of my own. I never dreamed that it would end up being what it uh, ended up being. And I don't think that they would have spoken as liberally had I been recording them. So there's pros and cons to, to the recording as well. But one of my cousins yeah. interviewed one, uh, two of her uncles, and one of one of the uncles lived to be 106. He he was the youngest, and so she uh, recorded in the seventies him, his older brother, and a niece that was you know close to the same age. So I have that, and then I I, I did write down everything that they told me. Mhm. So tell us, um, just go through some of the other stories that you were um, you you were told as you talk to these various family members. And then tell us a little bit more about some of the families. You mentioned the Gardners and the Terrys, but were there other families that were part of the uh, Westington Plantation? Uh, yes, there were many families there. The majority of the slaves that had been there the longest after emancipation used the Washington surname. But other families that were on the plantation uh, were the Lewises. Uh, George A. Washington, who was the second owner of the plantation, uh, married a, a lady from Nashville, Margaret Adelaide Lewis, and as a wedding gift, her dad gave them 29 slaves. So uh, there were a lot of Lewises on the plantation. Uh, there were some Scots, Greens, Cheatham's, Blows, um, Williams, and several other families. 
So and uh, so, are you in contact with these people? Because I mean, this is just amazing research that you were able to uh, obtain. And so, how did you get all of these people? I mean, I understand you had plantation papers, but to actually find descendants that did not have the Washington name but had other surnames, how did you go about doing this? Okay, well, our town is small enough pretty much that you know everyone. So uh, when I'm okay. going through the records and I see a Gardner or Terry or whatever the, the, the surname is, I know that their family came, you know, from Washington. So I would I would uh, go up to them and say, hey, I found such and such. And they say, oh, yeah, that's my great-grandmother or that's my grandmother or grandfather. So uh, here you know who every, who everyone is related to pretty much. And so when you put this book together and you started sharing the stories of these family members, did they all come together uh, as one big group to hear the research that you had gathered on their fa- on these families, or did you meet with each family individually? I met with individuals, and then some of these individuals would invite me to their family reunion. I'm also a calligrapher, and I can draw, so I would do these huge family trees on uh, pages that was probably on, uh, I guess, about six feet wide and about three feet high. And so I would start with their earliest ancestor, and then I would do a, a generation chart, you know, down to the present time. So some of these family trees, like the one I did for the Terry family, uh, had 1,500 people on it. My Washington family, uh, it was over a 1,000 of us on it. The gardeners, there's uh, over a 1,000 of them on theirs, and then I've done several others for them. So I would go to their family reunions, and then I'd tell when their first ancestor came to Westington and then uh, all their uh, their family history that I knew. Would you write them a story or just give them the the, the big, beautiful pedigree chart? Okay, I do the pedigree chart, and then I would have it reduced to 11 by 17 so everyone there could get a copy, and I would also type up a history of their family and pass that out at the reunions as well. Oh, my goodness. You were the gift that continued to give. Now, yeah. I've read something. <laughs> I want you to tell us about one of the interviews, Mrs. Ann Nixon Cooper. Tell us about yeah. her. Okay, Mrs. Ann Nixon Cooper passed away uh, shortly before she turned 108. And so she was raised by a lady that was born a slave at Westington. Mrs. Cooper's uh, parents died when she was young, a small child, small girl. So her uncle married um, Joyce Washington Nixon, who was born at Westington uh, in the 1860s. So um, in I guess when Mrs. Cooper was 97, I was going through some documents, and I found an obituary for this lady that was born a slave in Westington in 1941 when she passed. And it listed Mrs. A.B. Cooper living in Atlanta, Georgia. And I thought to myself, this is probably a long shot, but I'm going to look up all these people that are mentioned and see if any of them are living. So Mrs. Cooper was still living in the same house that she did in in, in the 50s. So I called her up and told her who I was about the research. So she invited me to her home, and so she had some pictures that she shared uh, with me. Actually, uh, her um, her godmother, you would say, her name was Joyce Washington, and she was the daughter of Granville Washington, who was a slave at Westington, born in 1831, who was actually the son of the, or said to be the son of the plantation owner. 
So Mrs. Cooper had pictures of uh, his daughter, uh, some of their children, and then I shared some information with uh, Mrs. Cooper as well, and we became great friends. What an amazing story. And you were, you you know, to say that you tracked her into back to Atlanta and she had right. pictures to share with you was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Now, what kind of connection or contacts have you made with the descendants of the uh, Washington family? The uh, descendants of the slave owners. Okay, I've been in the contact with them uh-huh, uh, since the very beginning of uh, my research. So, uh, and uh, Talbot resided in the Westington Mansion when I first started uh, my research. And then over the years, I met uh, other descendants. Uh, w- uh, one was uh, Stanley Rose. His uncle had contacted me when I first started doing research, and he passed away when he was in his 80s. So Stanley inherited uh, some of his information, and he sent me an email and um, told me that he was a Washington descendant. So I met him and his wife, Emily, and they came to uh, Nashville doing some research, and then I met them out to the uh, out to the plantation, and I showed them where some of the slave cabins were, the slave cemetery, and the Washington uh, family cemetery. So Stanley actually um, he was uh, took a great interest in my research, and he actually uh, paid to have the slave cemetery on Westington uh, fenced uh, fenced off because it was out in the middle of an open field, and there's about 200 individuals buried there according to uh, ground penetrating radar. So he paid to have a fence put up. And then he was also instrumental in uh, some of his family members donating funds to have a monument erected in the slave cemetery at Westington. And in 2015, we had a dedication ceremony. The uh, monument um, has the names of 455 individuals that were enslaved at Westington from 1796 to 1865, and so um, there was about 200 of us. There was about um, 150 or so African-American descendants from slaves at Westington and about 50 uh, descendants of the plantation owners. So we all came together. There was people from New York to Florida to California all over the country that came for the dedication ceremony. And the cemetery right now is that, I mean, this is the cemetery you're talking about that was fenced and there's a monument. And what's on this, uh, the African-American cemetery uh, monument? What's on the memorial monument? Okay, it's it's the names of everyone that was ever enslaved at Westington from 1796 to 1865. And the individuals that I know to be buried there, I have a cross beside their names. I also have USCT beside individuals uh, who fought in the Union Army. And are you still finding information, or have you discontinued doing any more research on the uh, plantation itself? No, there are so many descendants there, it would probably be ongoing forever. Uh, In um, 2014, the Tennessee State Museum contacted me about doing uh, an exhibit based on my work, and it was called Slaves and Slaveholders of Westington Plantation. And the exhibit ran from um, February of 2014 through August, and there was nearly 70,000 visitors. So I met a lot of descendants that I wouldn't have known otherwise. One lady, um, Sadie Washington Johnson, uh, she passed away uh, two years ago, and she was 101. And so uh, she came to a presentation I did at the museum, and so she invited me to her home and, and her 100th birthday party. She was, I think, 97 when I met her. 
And so she had pictures of her uh, grandmother who was born at Westington, and, and she had stories to tell me as well, and so I shared information uh, with her. So there's constantly, there's probably not a week that passes by that someone doesn't uh, contact me whose ancestors came from Westington. I met uh, one gentleman, and he uh, died a week before he turned 106. His name was Joseph Washington also. He was my cousin, and I met him on his 102nd birthday. And so when I went to his home, I showed him a picture of my great-great-grandparents, and I asked him, did he know them? He said, well, of course I, I uh, knew them. And he said, we live next door to each other. And he told me that my great-great-grandfather had a beautiful singing voice, and he used to lead most of the songs in their prayer services. And he even sang some of the songs uh, to me that my great-great-grandfather used to lead in their prayer services. So um, I had a photo album of other uh, enslaved people from Westington, so he could tell me, you know, different stories about different ones of those as well, where they went to um, after they left the plantation and who they were related to, all that type of information. Well, I want to give individuals the opportunity that are listening, if they want to call in and ask you a question, call okay. uh, the call-in number is 516-453-9145 and press 1 to speak to the host. In the meantime, I want to just have you tell us about some of the photos that uh, you gathered and other photos that others shared with you that okay. you found to um, be most remarkable. <laughs> okay, I um, the uh, Ann Talbot. When I first met her, of course, she had the portrait of my great great grandfather, and it was painted by Maria Howard Whedon, who uh, was a white lady, and she specialized in painting African Americans during the late uh, 1800s, early 1900s. So there were about four portraits of former slaves that she had done. Then uh, the Washingtons had um, photo albums that had photographs of my, there was one of my great-great-grandfather and mother and some of their children and grandchildren. Um, Dr. Gates uh, borrowed uh, one of that particular photograph uh, for um, a documentary he did some time ago. And then um, another photograph that's on the cover of my book, the one that I saw in the seventh grade, uh, he also used uh, that one. Um, also, when I interviewed some of the children and grandchildren, they'd have large portraits of their grandparents or parents, and I would ask them to allow me to copy them, so uh, they would agree to that. So in my book, I have probably about 100 photographs of uh, former Westington slaves and, and their descendants, like their children and grandchildren. Right. What What I find you know, just remarkable about your research is that the memory of the enslaved individuals, it sounds like the stories continued through the various family members, whereas you'll talk to some people and they won't know anything. But you're telling me that you found people that really did have information that was passed down to them. Can you tell me why you feel that that was the case on this particular plantation? I don't know if it's because of that particular uh, plantation, but like a lot of families have been here f for generations, so you end up, uh, many people end up growing up with their uh, grandparents, great-grandparents, mm -hmm. uh, second, third cousins, all of these people, they all have family reunions, and so they tell, it, it was always important to explain how you were related to someone. 
So in that, they'd have to tell about, you know, their ancestry. So I think that's one reason that a lot of the information has been preserved so well. Mm-hmm. And it and it's just wonderful just to be able to have those stories shared over and over again. I mean, there is such a challenge that we as African Americans experience as we go through our genealogical journey, but with you, you found those papers, uh, you said known as the Washington Family Papers, which had great details on them. I mean, the letters, the diaries, the lists of slaves. I mean, this is information that for some people would take years. It took you 30 years, as you said, but years just to, to gather this information. But you were in a good place to get this information. It's just, it's just amazing. It really is. So do you have any tips that you would like to share with others as they go through a similar research process? I would say start with your older family members and record their conversations, which I, I didn't do that, but I encourage everyone, if they want to, I want you to record them. Everybody doesn't like to be recorded. But if they will consent to, uh, I would say do that. Uh, older pictures especially, get those and label who they are because uh, so many times we have family portraits or, or photographs and we have no clue who the people are. So since I've been in, due to the COVID, I've been taking a lot of my old pictures and writing on the back who they are, what date it was taken, uh, what their relationships are to one another, all that type of information. Because I, I uh, run into a lot of people that have pictures of older people in the family that may be taken in the early 1900s, and they have no clue. They know that they're family, but they have no clue, you know, who it is. Mhm, mhm, and then there's nobody who can actually identify those people, right, right, so that oh. makes it difficult. Well, I have two uh a question coming in area code four four three do you have a question or a comment? Yes, hi, Bernice. This is uh Angela. Hi. Hello, John. How are you? Hello, Angela. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I would love to hear how you made the, uh, I don't know if the word is transition, but as you were accumulating all of this data to then Mm -hmm. decide it's time for me to put this in a book format, not necessarily Mm -hmm. the process of the writing, but when did you go from being the researcher to becoming the author, the writer of the story of those enslaved individuals from Westington? I'd love to hear okay. about that. Okay. Um, the book was actually published in 2009, so probably three years before that. My mother stayed on me, and she said, you've got all this information. You remember, you know all this stuff off the top of your head. You don't have, even have to look at notes. And she said, if something happens to you, all that stuff is going to be down the drain. She said, you've got papers in drawers and closets here, there, and everywhere. And she said, <laughs> uh, you got that memory from me. She said, I was valedictorian of my class. And she said, anything I saw once, I can remember just like you can. But she said, now I don't remember where I put my keys half the time. So she said, you need to hurry up and, and write that book. So I thought about what she said, and so I got everything together. And I guess I worked on it for about a year and a half or two years. And so – then I uh, submitted a book proposal. I got an agent, and then shortly after I got an agent, Simon & Schuster made an offer to publish the book. And the rest is history, I guess you will say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of. 
Right, right. Well, your your mother's a very wise woman to encourage you to take all of that information and and put it in a book. And so many of us we we gather, we love gathering. But mm-hmm. the 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 most important thing you can do is to put it in writing. Uh, to preserve that story, and you tell the story rather than have somebody else take your research and tell the story. And so right. for that, now, one I thing, was, uh, go ahead. My editor, my editor told me that was one where in some cases people don't have enough information. I had, I guess, way too much because my uh, editor said, John, you've got enough information for ten books. There's no way that we can get all this stuff uh, in in one book. So I had to, you know, cut that down. But uh, that was the only downside to that. So is there a part two to your book? I'm working on a children's book now. you had enough information for ten books? Yeah, right. I'm working on a children's book, and then I want to do a book just for – from a genealogy perspective with uh, all the documents where I list, like um, like pretty much like a census on the plantation when everyone got there, I made a um, an Excel document which lists uh, every individual when they came to the plantation, whether they were purchased and brought there or they were born there. I list who their parents are, the date that they came there, their relationships to other slaves that they're mentioned uh, in the bill of sale. Um, where they went to after they were emancipated, uh, when they died, who their descendants are, all the marriages, uh, all the information that you want to know genealogically. So that family members, if you put all of that together, they will they will now almost have a, a dictionary of resources uh, where yes. they can. I, I, that's, that's right. I've done that, and I've also gone through uh, the deed books in our county, which lists slave bills of sale. And so I'm planning on doing a book with that. I went through the deed book, and I've also gone through the will book, where, say, for instance, if a plantation owner um, has 10 kids and he has five slaves and they're not of equal value and they're sold to uh, split up the money between the family members, I've listed uh, the individual's names, who ended up buying them, and uh, it, the date and all types of information, their relationships to one another. So anybody in our county who had an ancestor that was enslaved, they, uh, it would be a big help to them. It, that, oh, that sounds like an excellent resource for individuals who would want more information about their ancestors. Well, I just right. want to thank you uh, for coming on tonight and Folks, the name of the book is Washington's of Westington Plantation, Stories of My Family's Journey to Freedom by John F. Baker, Jr. And I'm sure that those of you who have the book, just keep reading it. This is one of my resource books. I love reading uh, your book, and it's very inspiring to read your book and to just look at all of the resources and the information you had to share about the various families. And so thank you so much for joining me tonight. And everyone, remember, your ancestors left footprints, just as John found a picture in a book, and his grandmother told him, those were her grandparents, you may find something similar. So, you know, stay vigilant. Keep looking for documents. 
document that oral history, folks, because you will find a wealth of information about your family. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you have listened to John F. Baker Jr. share his story. Good night, John, and thank you again for joining the show. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.